Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look at modern business, talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them or not. I'm Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello. And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, with that being said, our guest this week is David Levin, co-founder and creative director at That Lot, an award-winning platform-first social creative agency. Sit that in your pipe. After working as a writer at MTV and freelance for a number of brands, David's initial foray into social came when he set up a spoof Twitter account for his local Hackney pub, which attracted a cult following was named Time Out's Best London Twitter. Excellent work. He was then asked to write and create social content for numerous brands and broadcasters, including PG Tips, Adidas, and BBC One's The Voice, which broke BBC records for engagement. David specializes in nailing the tone of voice and creating shareable social formats, many of which have contributed towards some major wins for that lot's clients, such as making Channel 4 the most viewed UK broadcaster on Facebook. I didn't know that. There you go. You're welcome. Very good. Uh, We're in very good company indeed. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What an intro. I feel like you've just told my entire life story. I'm not sure I've got anything left. Yeah. That lot is a very good name for a business because you don't, you know... People are just going to say it. Yeah, it, it wasn't me. It was my, I set it up with um, someone called David Schneider, who is a writer I know David comedian. Schneider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. he is a funny man, and he came up with that name. Thought um, it would just confuse people, and now a few years on, we... Actually, no, I, I still like it, but yeah, we sometimes think it, we could have come up with an easier name. David Schneider is the guy who did the cheese and Alan Partridge. He I also did man. some scratched... He, he did a Jewish event and and I'm not Jewish but everyone thinks I am and as usual at the time I was a scratch <laughs> DJ and I was asked to come and scratch along with this what's the music Kesper the fast music Klezma Klezma yes. was it? I had to listen to Klezma and scratch to Klezma or something wow he's a good man so you set that up with him I did yeah 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 and he's a very funny man and I was a big fan of uh Alan Partridge and his shows and a big fan of him on Twitter so I mean I'm sort of jumping halfway into my story but um yeah, he was, he, I met him when I was, because I'd set up this Twitter account, which I'll tell you about in a second. And I accidentally became the UK's first professional tweeter. And the, that is quite an accolade, actually. UK's well, first professional Yeah, tweeter. I don't know. Yeah, the Evening Standard wrote a thing about me. It, it wasn't deliberate. Um, but then Twitter thought this was quite interesting, got me to speak at one of their events. And uh, yeah, David was there. So what, what happened? You're sitting in your pub. Twitter exists for how long? So to go slightly back, so I've been a writer for years, as you alluded to in the excellent uh, epic intro. Um, (laughs) Wrote for lots of brands uh, as a freelancer, some terrible magazines. I had a Twitter account, but I wasn't massively into it, but I sort of knew a bit about it. And then uh, moved to Mayor Street in East London two weeks before the 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 UK riots, the London riots. Uh, which was good timing. And uh, you may remember they started on Mare Street and and that was all mad. And one of the things that happened in these riots at the start was because we were living opposite a pub called The Dolphin. If any of your listeners haven't been to The Dolphin, I'm going to presume most of them haven't. It's kind of the, the iron apper of East London. It's, a, <laughs> it's the place that uh, hipsters go to and drink Jaeger bombs and dance to 90s and noughties R&B and hip hop till five in the morning. Um, you now also know what Iron App is all about. Sure. And I, uh, yeah, I was loving this. I was loving the Dolphin. One of the rumours was that the rioters had 
got into the dolphin and had start, tried to burn it down. We could see that it was fine because you could literally see it. We I lived above the eye in Iceland, which was a good um, thing <laughs> to tell people. when I, uh, And uh, saw that it was fine, tweeted about it from my own account, and then it got retweeted by a big Dolson account because um, lots of people were worried that it was on fire. And then people started replying to this tweet with filthy and hilarious stories about, oh, thank God for that. And I mean, it was some of, you know, most of it is unrepeatable, but the one that really made me think, wow, this is mad, you know, first, but someone said, that's the only pub I've ever had sex in. And like, <laughs> it's a really Larry pub. Um, and then after about an hour of this, and me and my flatmate sort of just laughing our heads off, uh, me and Helen, we're just like, well, I wonder why the dolphin hasn't got its own Twitter account. And we'd had Bingo. a couple of glasses of wine. I thought, you know what? I'm going to set one up just for a joke. And it was literally just, I thought I'd do it just for funny and just, just writing jokes about scaring the, the uh, rioters off. And because it was known for being uh, run by a Turkish family, I was, it was I think my first tweet was something about um, Balaclava's zero, Baklava one or something. And then <laughs> just like did a few tweets, had a couple more glasses of wine, went to bed and got up and it had like a few thousand followers overnight because wow. it had been retweeted by some big accounts. What year is this? This, oh God, the riots, 2012, I think that okay, was. Okay, so it's quite early Twitter so at this early point. Early Twitter. And actually, it was the way Twitter used to, if a, if a tweet was getting a lot of traction, they sometimes put tweets on their homepage, which mm. has changed. Anyway, it got like a good amount of attention. You, over one night, hours. you went to sleep, you got a couple of thousand followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, well, maybe people... just cause Because it, they I, thought it was the dolphin, partly too. Partly because they thought it was that. Partly because it's such an East London institution and partly, I guess, because, like, people found it amusing. Yeah. And, and I suppose having something that was a bit amusing in an otherwise very serious and quite depressing moment yes. also helped. Um, but but then, yeah, quite a few celebrities retweeted it and then it just... Sorry, yeah. Then it, then that's it. one of the great things about Twitter is you get these people that become famous overnight Definitely. for kind of, you know, two days and then and you follow them and they have nothing else to say oh. apart from that one funny <laughs> well, thing. Well, yeah, you know. luckily, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, not in your case. No, no, but it's a really, really good point. And I think one of my favourite things about Twitter and about social media in general is, if I can not sound too pretentious about it, the democratisation of content yeah. in that if you've got a good enough thing to say or a funny enough joke or an interesting enough take, it doesn't really matter whether you've got 100 followers or 100,000 followers or a million followers or whether you're an individual or a brand or you can rise to the top if what you're doing is, is good enough. And that, I suppose, luckily was an example of that happening. And then it got quite a few celebrities saying nice things about it. There were people like um, Caitlin Moran, the journalist, and, and Rizzle yeah. Kicks, the band and people. And then after, I sort of thought, well, I'll keep it going for a couple of days just because it'd be funny and it was amusing me and my flatmate. And I thought I'll use it as a way to sort of learn a bit about um, getting better at Twitter because I've been a writer for years. And then it just sort of kept growing and growing. And I thought I'd better go tell the dolphin about it because I'd been in there. And I went across the road and met a lovely um, couple who ran it, a Turkish couple called Yash and Nuvit. And Did they, were they on Twitter? That was the thing. So I said, listen, I've set up this Twitter account for you. People seem to like it. And they were like, Cool. What's a Twitter account? And I was like, "Don't worry about it." And then I kept doing it for a bit longer. A few weeks later, and then went in again with my friends. And Yash came up to me. He was like, "What is this thing you're doing?" Because people are coming into the pub because of it, and they're asking who's doing the tweets and stuff. So they were getting busier because of it. How many followers by then? 
I don't know, maybe a few thousand. And then I sort of thought, and then they sort of at first were like, well, can we pay you to do it? And I thought by that point, well, because I'm a freelance writer, mm. I wouldn't mind just to have control of it. So I was like, I'll just do it. Don't worry. You just give me like free Jaeger bombs when I come in. Um, <laughs> and I just want to do it. And the tweets will get yeah. funnier. And they did. Jaeger bombs yeah, yeah. only though. No, to yeah. be honest with you, it's what happened. So I kind of kept doing it. It got more, it grew in followers. And I just, when I went in there with my mates um, or uh, yeah, like my girlfriend, now wife, they, he would just rack up Jaeger bombs, and that was kind of Brilliant. that was how it Did worked. you not at any point say, Could I just get a pint of lager? He was just like, No, Jaeger bomb. Well, I, I mean, it's just not really, it's hard to describe. You haven't been there, it isn't your average pub, really. It's kind of an, an it I'm, uses that fit. It's a bit like going into um, certain places, you just get this feeling that it's just party time. It's wild, it's wild. And, it's, and but particularly Friday and Saturday nights, which is when the vast majority of people went to it. I think sadly it's closing now. Um, the, it was properly like a, a nightclub. You couldn't move, and people were just dancing on the chairs. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't do that now. No, two feet. It no? was the mo- it was the, the the antithesis to sort of social distancing. Mm. So let's wind the tape all the way back. Okay. Forget about the dolphins. Forget about all of that. Uh huh. First ever proper job. My first ever job was in Leeds. It was to save up. So um, to buy tickets for, I can't remember if it was Leeds Festival or Glastonbury. And me and my mate got um, a job in a Yorkshire pudding factory. Oh my God. Putting Yorkshire puddings into Yorkshire pudding packets and taking them off. Like, were they going to be frozen or? Yeah, I I don't know if they were frozen. They were sort of straight off the, the, like the red hot conveyor belt thing. And like, into and it was, yeah, it was like, it was awful. And you couldn't eat as many as you like? You couldn't, know, But it was, uh, yeah, I, I hated it and um, quit on day two. So, uh, so the Yorkshire pudding was the, the first uh, initial job. What was the first job you held for, you know, let's go for a month? When did you move down to London? Moved down to London when I was just 19. For the big, so, big lights, was it? No, well, sort of, I was coming down here at a place at uni at Goldsmiths College. Oh, yeah. Nice. Looking forward to it. And then I was... Um, at a party and met this girl who was an intern at MTV and it sounded amazing. We like had a really good fun night and she was like, actually, they're looking for new interns. Why don't you apply? And I was like, cool, I love MTV. Thought I just, I never expected it to come to anything and then applied, got an interview, second interview and like get the train out. It was so exciting being at MTV. And then, yeah, they gave me an internship. So I cancelled my place at uh, Gold. What's this, 2001 or something? This or? was No, this was 99. Oh, so MTV is like yeah. a big thing. It was just the end of, just before, like, as MTV was sort of becoming MTV UK, so it was changing. But I was there just at the end of when it was wild. But, um, yeah, I got an internship, deferred my place at uni. I was like, I'll come next year instead. So it was good because my bank had already given me like a student loan because <laughs> my parents couldn't, didn't really have a huge amount of money. So I've done an intern and I was earning like nothing a week. Um, so I was using my student loan. And then whilst I was an intern, I ended up getting a job there as a junior news writer. So I was like, actually, I'm not going to come to uni. So I'm the only person I know of that had a student loan without ever being a student. Oh, um, work. Which I suppose is either really good or really embarrassing depending on how you look at it. But it was really useful because otherwise I'm not sure I could have afforded to, to do that. And they didn't make you pay it back despite not going to uni. Oh, no, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't make me. Oh, they'll take no, it but back. but I mean, they didn't say, okay, if you haven't been to uni at all, you've got to pay it back right now. It was l- lucky that my bank manager at the time 
um, was quite into a band I was playing in. Oh <laughs> so my goodness! I, I, don't, I don't want to. Yeah, but she definitely was. Maybe she was more lenient with me than than maybe she she should have been. Um, How many fucking people can say that? My bank manager was into yeah, the band. I know, and I was as I was say, playing. I'm sort of thinking: Am I? Infl- am I imagine? Maybe I imagine it. That's this is lucky a story as well. That is really lucky to happen to have to a land young myself bank in manager. thousands of pounds of debt. Yeah, without being. Yeah. But no, it was worth it, and I did that for year for about what was there for like seven or eight years and then went freelance and then did all the stuff I told you. To be fair, the variation of debt is, is pretty complicated. You know, if, it, if they give you a mortgage, you know, if you tick the buttons, there isn't, the ma- the machine doesn't have a lot of like, oh, he didn't go to uni. <laughs> oh, we don't have a form for <laughs> that. let him off. You know, it's like, oh, Deborah, get the Z73219 slash <laughs> four. We've got one who didn't make it and went to MTV. <laughs> oh, another one, David. Anyway. What do you think's your biggest fuck up then? So, Professionally, I would say my biggest. I mean, I don't really know. I'm I'm on the fence as to whether it was actually a fuck up because I'm sort of proud of it. And, learning experience. Yeah, it was a learning experience. Yeah. So there's two, there's two. One when I was tweeting for the Voice, um, Katie uh, Hopkins back before she was booted off Twitter when she used to just troll everyone. And she wasn't universally hated by the entire world. No, she was already pretty hated, okay. yeah. And she was, she, yeah, was watching The Voice, I think it was the third series, and she was just really, really slagging off the She's just an annoying bitch, I don't really know. She's awful. Okay. Oh, no, oh, she's you just know, horrible. Oh, she's a, she's horrible. one of the first, like, real, like, famous trolls. Like, her thing was just, like, being awful about but she's people. a famous singer, too. No, she's not a singer. She's a, wow, I can't believe you managed to avoid she's Katie Hopkins. She's just like a, a, she's, a name. She's She was a journalist. I mean, I think she... She was a journalist, wasn't she? What was she on The Voice for? Isn't it all musicians? It's musicians. She no, hosted no, no, it. No, 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 no. No, she's just she watching She wasn't on The, the Voice. She's watching oh, The Voice. right. She's at home just just putting out awful, awful tweets about right. the boys, including someone who was a, a lo- this lovely, really young girl who had some some personal issues that, that Kate Hopkins was really, really being awful about, bullying her, basically. Mm. And she'd been doing this for a, for a couple of years, for, so, but I sort of always ignored it. Or, and this time, it was just had been a really busy day, and I just really felt quite sorry for this contestant. And she sort of caught just one night where it was just really pressured, and I just did what I'd never done before, which was just like gave sort of yeah let myself get drawn into it uh, that you know that's what she does she she wants that really but she would never normally get it from a BBC account but I was yeah I, the voice by that point had I don't know I mean into the hundreds of thousands of followers and it's a big BBC show and I replied if we weren't a BBC account we'd tell you to shut your face and that reply that doesn't only, seem too bad well it's because good reply clever too. thank you very much but it was but by BBC standards you wouldn't never really tell someone to shut their face. And in 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 the sort of, I think it was seven minutes that it was live before we had to delete it, it had had well into the thousands of retweets. And it had been seen by loads of journalists, to your point. Yeah. And then the the person who, from the press team at BBC came into where it was like in this little sort of, um, we were just in this, yeah, this little room behind the scenes. Um, and she was like, listen, we've been talking about this. The boss, we, we like that you did it and we know it came from a good place and we're not going to fire you, but we have to delete that that tweet and the press office are getting loads of calls about it. So it might become a thing. So we need to chat about it tomorrow. So I deleted it, went and carried on doing my work for that night. Um, that was the Friday that night. That just feels so tame compared to some of the stuff I know, and you said a very clever thing. You said, we're not saying it. As, as, you know, as I say now, it feels tame, but it's because it was a BBC account. And, yeah, and it and was a while no ago. no BBC account had yeah. ever done that before. And then next morning, 
um, I remember the the person from press called and saying we've had more. It's been it was in about eight or nine different papers, and because it was just an easy story, BBC account tells troll to shut a face, and that had been in more papers than the show had been in the night before, and. Like people really high up at the BBC were being asked to comment on is this acceptable for the BBC to be using this type of language? And it was, yeah. And at that point, and then I got promoted. And then I thought I was going to be fired. And they were quite, they were sort of like, you definitely overstepped the mark. And this is far from ideal that we're having to talk mm. about this much. But we do believe that you were right to stand up for the show. And, you know, so. What do you find most uncomfortable about being in business? You obviously love that lot. Love that lot, love the agency and love what we've built. Um, I think something that seems pretty common from a lot of other founders that I speak to um, is generally, not always, but but generally, and, and definitely in, in my case, the more, the higher up you get in something, the less you do of the thing that you love or that you're really good at, I suppose. Oh, well, no, no, the last bit's not necessarily true. There are lots of founders who yeah, are yeah, brilliant managers and brilliant business people, but... In some cases, and definitely in my case, and I think I can speak for David Schneider, he's only, but these were only two of the, the founders, but um, the bit that we love doing is the creative bit. And that's, you know, we we over, you know, we oversee a team of people who do that. That's still obviously a big part of what we do, but it, it's, it's a relatively small part now of what I do. And that's fine. That's not me moaning about it, but I think that's part of the, the big difference between being in business versus if I was just, Back, going back to when I was freelance tweeting. You end up managing and doing admin. What you tell us about the agency? How big is it now? We um, actually, a few months ago, passed a, a seminal number for, for an agency like ours. We passed 140 characters, but we're now 152, I think. People? Yeah, yeah. That's huge. It's an agency. That's a big agency. Yeah, we've grown quite quickly. And partly because I think we're very, well, we, when we started, we were quite niche and specialist how long ago did you start we're six now magic number seven and we, years and we got acquired by a big agency by Weber Shandwick the world's I think still the world's second biggest PR agency which always feels like an insult when I say it and it's not but um, especially in the PR yeah know? but they're, they're, they're big they're, they acquired us three years uh, yeah three and a half years ago how, how have you found that because you know often the kind of personality that is a founder entrepreneur mm finds it quite hard to suddenly get their head around working for somebody else. Yeah, it's been a bit different. It's had challenges. All the stuff, I think anyone that you speak to who's sold their agency or sold their company, I'm sure would say the same things. But I think it's important to remember, and we always remind ourselves to not ever moan about the stuff because well, you shouldn't have sold your business. And, yeah. and it, I think the stuff that we would moan about if we were going to do it are just very natural and normal teething problems of a small company being becoming part yeah. of the bigger company. And I really have to say, and again, this is like the spot by thing, this is not me like being nice to Weber Shamrock because they bought us. They actually have been, like, as they- Are they, they British or Weber Shamrock? They're an American company, but they're, yeah. but they're global and they, they, we, they've got a huge team here. And when we, because we were lucky enough to have a few, um, when we sort of decided we were going to sell, we entered, it went into this, this system, uh, it was kind of almost like I'd, what I would imagine- an arranged marriage process to be like. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's the agencies that specialise in... Did you do? Did you get corporate finance into a bidding process? 
uh we yeah no there was a there was a beam process yeah and it was it was it was really interesting how they did it it was almost a bit like at the first it was like speed dating with agency people and then it became people who were interested you know you sort of mm. got more and more serious and then it got down to the ones who actually wanted to make an offer and luckily we had a few that wanted to get us and then you go through the offers going which and then it's a bit more like then the power goes on the other first yeah. more like dragon's den or something so all of a sudden you stop pitching to them they start pitching to you anyway we sort of couldn't decide, and particularly in the end, it went down to two, and we nearly, very nearly went with the other one. But Weber were really, where they really got us excited was, A, they were saying, we'll help you um, uh, launch uh, globally and in other territories. Um, B, they were really strong on sort of data and strategy in the areas that we were, were weaker on. But they were also very much like, we're going to let you just get on with it. And the only time yeah. you'll hear from us, really... Are when things aren't going wrong, but apart, you know, well, no, when things are going wrong, but if things are working, we sort of lay on with it. And they have been like that. And even though, yeah, there are times where it's challenging and there are some accounts that we share with them um, where it just, it's mainly just been tricky because we do things in different ways. But overall, it's been great. But that that is amazing because I do a lot of MA mm. and you would be surprised how many times the purchaser says, we will leave you alone to do your own thing. And then as soon as you're in the marriage, yeah. I mean, the don't, relationship don't get me wrong. changes completely. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 they are, they are involved. And don't I think- get me wrong, I've got a special red <laughs> telephone on my table. I have to answer every 12 minutes. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What is most misunderstood about being in business or being an employer? (laughs) Yeah. Is that my silly voice? (laughs) That's my BBC voice. I think, really, the the thing I find, you know, I wouldn't have imagined how many different hats you have to wear mm. and how many directions Back you have to pull them. Right. And I suppose it sounds, now I say it, it seems weird, it seems obvious, but I'm not sure it is to people until you've sort of run a company like just how many different things are constantly going on. And it doesn't, it's not, you know, some are really fun, some are really boring, some are really positive, some are really negative, but it's just the amount of different directions. Do you find you do a lot of firefighting? All the time. And that's, I think, it's just an agency. So your day is planned room. out. But- yeah, your day can be planned out in terms of First, I mean, yeah, meetings, and everyone's sick of there's too many meetings and too many calls, and that's already sort of a challenge in itself. But then, yeah, it's it's rare that there isn't a day where there's at least a fire or a client that has an issue with something or a grumble about something or something isn't the way that they wanted it or something isn't the way that you pitched it or something has turned out to be more expensive than they thought or something, you know, and that's just agency stuff. And actually, often the things that take longer are more kind of, people in the team have got their own grumbles or grumbles with someone else or grumbles, you know, and that is, again, it's all very normal, all fine. But when you add them all up, 
on top of the stuff you're supposed to be doing, on top of the things you're supposed to be thinking about and the pitch that's coming up and everything else. It's just a lot of different stuff, really. Yeah. You feel like you're doing everything badly. It's a bit like being a parent, which you're now, you know. It's my friend gave me great advice. I said, he said, I said something about, oh, but I don't want to fail a parent. He's like, oh, no. Everybody fails as a parent. He's like, just fail <laughs> gracefully. Is, is your friend Squire? He's French. He's French. Sorry. <laughs> What's the next milestone? I mean, where where's next? 140 people? That's a big agency. It is getting big, yeah. I suppose the next for us is more... I, I don't think we've ever really measured ourselves on number of people. Are you in cool. other countries? So that's the main thing. I think it's about going... We are doing quite a lot now in the US and we've got some sort of cross... Like, pan-European clients. I think starting to get a couple of really big global accounts would be the, the next thing. We've got a really big pitch at the moment for, I don't want to say, because then by the time this goes out, if we haven't got yeah. it, yeah. something that is not outside of this world that, that we're doing now, that's as much as I'm going to say, but it's a huge <laughs> global pitch and we've been working over ages. But yeah, no, this is, um, I think, being more global, winning some big awards. Mm. Um, I've sort of been on a couple of... Um, judging panels this year, which is over, over the past year, which has been great, and just seeing some of the stuff that went towards, yeah, we need to. That's the sort of next level is winning, like it's you know, like a, a can light. We got nominated for a can light. That, that's year, it. But right? what are the big awards that you respect? Can was a big one, yeah. And we like there's a big one, the drum awards. We've, we've won some of those, um, and but just yeah, I think. The, What's it like being on the other side of it, being on the judging panel? I absolutely like, loved quite it. Stressful. I wasn't sure how I'd find it, and I was a bit like, oh, it's a lot of time to put into it, but like. This is where Weber just know that world so well. And they're like, it's worth it. You'll enjoy it. And it's good for the agency and gets you in front of loads of like brand stuff. So I did it and I absolutely loved it because you're looking at the best work and the panel were just brilliant people. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I've done it a couple of times and, and loved it. I actually, but um, talking about this the other day, just from my, oh, yeah, I was in a pitch, that was why. Another fail of a different kind was I was uh, can very kindly and brilliantly featured me in their, um, they had this campaign called Thank You Creativity and they took people from the creative industry um, who had interesting stories and I guess because they've heard about the, the the pub thing and the tweeting thing um, and they just had quotes from you on these posters. They were in a couple of tube stations and my one had this quote that was fine um, and and me and it was already quite weird seeing yourself on a poster but I'll have to send you after the, the logo placement and I don't know why this happened. They placed it in the groin area. Oh my god! No. So imagine as you go and see this in a tube. It's already weird, and, you, and then you see this. In, yeah. So that was that. Was what is their thing. logo? It's not a John. It was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just the words "thank you creativity," which in itself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should get that on the underpants. That is yeah. What is the hardest thing in your job, and how do you deal with it? There's a few hard things. I think if I had to pick one thing, and this is more just about my flaw as a human being, I really struggle to tell people off. And that, God, me too. And I think that's going to, unfortunately, that carries through into to parenting. I just, it's, there's something, even if someone is, needs told off or they've done something really wrong or they're, they're doing a bad job, yeah, I, I just shy away from it or do it in a way that... Unless I'm really in an argument with someone, which is a different thing, I tend not to be that. Have you person. ever had to fire somebody? Yeah, no, you had to do it a few times, and I I take it way too personally. And I think generally now my my co-founders, you know, if I don't need to be involved, I'm not because if the first time we did it, it felt to me it was like a breakup. It was awful. And did this, you cry? And the person that we we fired, who completely deserved to be fired, like it wasn't even like you know, but. 
you know, took it really badly and that made it worse. And it was just, I found it awful, awful, awful. And I remember, yeah, uh, the Dave, David Beresford, there's three Davids who started the, the agency. Um, he had years and years in, in banking, was much more from a, a managerial um, background and was just like, you have to not, this isn't that, yeah. you know, you don't have to take it personally. Not, not, that, not that he was taking it lightly that we haven't to fire someone, but... Well, what's really hard is to be honest in the moment. Mm. The interesting problem is, is that you feel an emotional reaction when something happens. They let you down, I'm pissed off. So you want to be, but being nasty to them doesn't help. Mm. But being very honest with them, like... Uh, it's, you've left me in a really difficult position. That was it. That was the whole set. So it's that third reaction is really hard to get to quickly. But the longer you leave it, you leave it five days. Yeah. You've now got this whole, oh, I should have said something. I don't know. It's a mess. So the, I'm not very good at it. But you see people very good at it in the moment. Just oh, like definitely. Saying definitely. a sentence. Yeah, yeah. I bet David Scheider's Yeah, yeah. But on all my, all my, all our management team, yeah, they're all much better than me. And oh, yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah. What is the one thing in the world you would like to change in the future? Other than the Americans' use of the word pants, which is incorrect. Um, so, well, are we talking about, I mean, I'm hoping you're talking about the industry rather than the whole world. That's well, a no, big question in the both. world. <sighs> you know, I'm going to go with the industry because I don't, I mean, otherwise I don't know, we'll be here for no, hours. Correct. I talk and write quite a lot about diversity, which is sort of a bit boring now because everyone does, but I do it because, for a few reasons. One, I've got, Different colour parents, and um, and also not just from from uh, sort of uh, ethnic or racial diversity. Also, because I didn't end up going to uni, and because I'm definitely not like being like a Lord Sugar, I, you know, I have a very normal upbringing, but from parents who didn't have a huge amount of money, and so in our industry that is predominantly, definitely not entirely, but predominantly mm. still very white, and still predominantly people who went to uni, and in many cases, good universities, I feel quite strongly about kind of changing that. And as an agency, we definitely try and do it. But as an industry, you can see the change starting to happen. But it's just, I think there's a lot of talk now about diversity, as, as, as rightly there should be. But I think it's still, we've got a long way to go for it to be done properly rather than just a sort of box ticking exercise. Um Mm, that's a deep nice. one. I love the fact you were like, oh, I'll just talk about a small topic. Uh, but but just go, am I allowed to, I mean, I, even this question I was for, what, what, what race are your parents in out of interest? There's a, there's a bit of, but also, but yeah, my mum's my black and my, my dad is white and I've got sort of a bit of, yeah. But which culture are they from out of interest? She's got, she's Caribbean background. He's, uh, he's, my dad is white and Jewish, so I've got a bit of that as well. So a bit of bit of all sorts going on. And as, as my wife's Trinidadian, I'm taking offence oh. to this general Caribbean oh, thing. Okay. You know, Cuban? Well, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I suppose back with this, the Jamaican, and I've got uh, my two of my family would live living over in uh, Nevis, one of the small oh, islands. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If they turn that into a financial um, centre, anyway, no. But so the diversity thing. So okay, so you come from a diverse outlook, and you within the industry, you you. See you're just you're, you're just feeling that it, 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 there's a pattern of people who get into that job that mm. somehow I think it's yeah. needs to be broken. I yeah, guess, or not, changed. Not, yeah, not not lots like, of creatives come from the same place, right? And it's not just creatives. It's, and, uh, it's, and actually, yeah, you see it in Weber Shamrock as well. It's just I think there's something about yeah, just a lot of those universities have, for years and decades have provided those people, mm. and it just keeps feeding it the same way. And it's not that I'm saying those people shouldn't. You know, there's lots of brilliant, brilliant people that come through that system. But I think we're also just missing a lot of people. And particularly with some of that social media and creative, it may be different or harder than other ones, but if you consider what I do for a living, it's it's madness. I was about to say, you don't need to go to university to 
learn how to do social media. You may as no. well go straight into the job. But I it's mean, funny how, even though you say that, it sounds, and it sounds funny and sounds daft, but still, when we, when we post for jobs and stuff, you'd be surprised, or I'm surprised, how few of the people that apply are outside of that. It's still majority of people who studied marketing, studied things that are to do with social media, studied creative things, or studied, you know, and that's great. And it's not that you couldn't... Have you heard the, the, there's a famous book I haven't read, but um, I read the back of. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you aware of this concept? I'm not aware, oh, It's no. just that basically a rich dad teaches his kid, you know, I'm, I, my dad taught me to be an accountant, true, his dad taught <laughs> him to be an accountant. But if your dad's, you know, oh, I don't know, bricklayers yep. probably earn a fortune, but you tend to just sort of carry on that pattern of baby. Right. So a lot of that is, is, is would be arguably some of that, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and back in the day, writers really did all come from posh universities sure. right or wrong I don't yeah know no totally totally and I think it's um, there weren't many jobs back then to be honest if you think about the sort of Monty Python era there was mm. a sort of very small set of people but David you know David Schrader is, def- is very much from that he's from went to Oxford and with all lots of you know in his year and when he t- he's got all these sto- you know loads of really famous comedians not yeah. just in that were all in that same crowd but you know he'd say the same thing as me which is kind of it's it's still weird how many, you know, like you said then, social media. I just think generally speaking, it's not as known as it should be to people outside of that world that you can get a job as a someone who does Instagram or does TikTok. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, yes. I think it was from my first boss at MTV. Um, it was actually my boss's boss. She's called Fleur. Um, she said you need to find ways in the industry to to sort of stand out and it's so noisy. And I think now it's even truer now with social media. And she said, something that has really worked for me that will work even more for you, because she wasn't a writer and she already knew I was really into that. And she, she said, um, write emails that people won't forget. Write emails that people in that, because emails now, even you know, back then it was less than that, it's just such a noise all the time. And she said, actually, it's an underused, underestimated form of selling yourself and she's like try and think of every email whether it's to a client or we we do a lot of emails back then to record labels and or to someone even in your own team every time you do that that is an opportunity for you to to, to if you're creative to show you create you're creative if you're trying to you know get a message across and I remember thinking god that's a lot of work there's a lot of emails but I thought actually do you know what I'm gonna stick and I've always done that and even to now and I have sort of that's the one thing that's been pretty constant that I do spend not too much time but maybe you know where people might spend two minutes on an email I probably spend three and a half and because I write for a living not like I'm saying I'm trying to make them all like hilarious but just I just try and find something in it, at least one thing that is going to make it stand out. And often now in our world, when we're emailing clients or doing follow-up emails after pitches, those things can count. And I've been for drinks with clients and with people, and it's over the years that it's really surprised me who said, you know, there was one case where we were down to the final two of something, and it wasn't like the email just, but mm. it was just that the little. Straw that got, that, yeah. What do they call that in the team GB? Marginal gains, mm. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also thinking about your internal marketplace as well as yeah. your external one. Like think about, particularly as you're going up through an organisation. Yeah. Thinking about internally impressing people as 100%. well as just when you're doing a pitch. Definitely. Such a much better piece of advice than take a lot of class A drugs and <laughs> hang around with the boss. <laughs> 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 you're a 
I expect from MTV. Well, if I was running MTV, I'd be like, take some acid and see what happens. You know, brilliant. This is such a different type of podcast. Yeah. Top three weeds, top three pods, top three music, which Andy likes. Yeah. Top three something. You could do albums. Okay, so top three pods. Right, I would say so. Firstly, so two industry ones and then a very non-industry one. Um, one is is Gary V, and I'm, it's, I can't actually believe I'm saying this because I'm someone that has spent a sort of few years finding him quite annoying. He's quite annoying, and in a weird I've way, never he's heard so, of him. He's, I'm really he's, sorry. He's, D likes him. He's, he's a yeah, fan. Yeah, he's very very energetic. Very is it just a V or is it V-E-E? V? V-E-E. No, short for Vaynerchuk, I think it is. And he has got a social media agency. It's a slightly different type of one. It's a media agency. But in a weird way, he's sort of a competitor. And I, I've known people at the end. Yeah, I used to find... I knew bits about him and had seen clips of him, found him very annoying. And then just started just catching the odd bit more about what he's saying. Actually, he really knows what he's talking about. And literally in the past sort of two or three weeks, I've found myself becoming a bit of a fanboy um and he, he talks very honestly and has a good point talks of view. very quickly but he's just, i suppose he's he's just obsessed with social media he start his, his 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 move into it was he used to work in his dad's wine shop and then back then no one was selling wine online and he found the whole wine industry so pretentious and he as he puts it which sounds like a very big thing but he sort of democratized wine is how he sees it and he's kind of he made it much less you know, he saw it online and wasn't pretentious about it and made lots of money doing that and then has since moved into lots of social media. But his his Instagram particularly is where I get most of his content. I think, oh yeah, I've stopped finding you annoying and now I think you're really ace. So him, um, and sorry, anyway, he's got a really interesting podcast where he just chats to people in business uh, very openly and he's really good. Um, another one is, um, I've forgotten his name, there he is, Rory Sutherland, who is, again, probably a bit of a cliche in our industry. I'm, I'm late to the party, but he is just a, an advertising creative guru. Um, and he's he's been around for years and he just interviews people from big brands. But he's so, I guess a bit like David Schneider, but much more extreme. He's so from a such a different world to me. He's like super, 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 super posh. But he's so smart and his insights about creativity and stuff are so brilliant that I just find him very um, inspiring and really interesting. And then nothing to do with the industry, but but something I think I love more than the previous two is um, P. Diddy's nighttime meditation podcast. Oh, it's not a podcast. It's just, it's a, it's an audio book. Um, and it's just, you put it on when you go to sleep. And I don't know how he's found himself in this, but it's called Honor Yourself. But I think he's just obsessed with good night's sleep. And he just talked, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Diddy anyway. Um, but having him and me and my wife have just, just become obsessed with it. It's just when you just need to chill out and you've got all your different He just thoughts. talks softly, does he? He just, he just talks about... Now it's time to cradle yourself in your bed. You deserve it. And like, you just tell, you talk, it was a terrible impression. You're a bad sleeper, I've just got generally. to go and listen no, to this. No, no, I'm not a terrible sleeper, but I just find it's a much nicer way to nod off. Normally, you've like just all got that young this. child too. You just, yeah, you've got a young child, but also you're lying there and you're thinking about this and yeah, you're meeting yeah, tomorrow yeah. and this and blah, blah. And actually, you just listen to Diddy <laughs> and you drift off. And he's, he makes it feel so cool, sleep so cool. He's just like, in your cocoon, the way you want to do it. I'm thinking, yes, Diddy. Anyway. <laughs> Definitely. This is amazing. I've got to go and get that. Excellent. Excellent recommendation. Okay, so that brings us to our favorite part of the show: the business versus bullshit quick fire round. D, cue the music. This is where we're gonna list a load of key terms, okay? 
And all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. Okay. Very good, David. Are you ready? I am ready, sir. Number one. Diversity quotas. Uh, ooh, business, yeah. Especially with your earlier well, no, wish. Yeah, I was hesitant. No, no, no. The only reason I hesitate is just, it's the quote. Yeah. I know. It's I know it's answer. difficult, but I think but yeah, it has to be. Overall, yeah. let's go business. Okay. Stand-up meetings. Like a stand-up meeting, business. Coffee. Uh, yeah, business, yeah. Uh, meeting agendas. Business. Hour-long meetings or Bull- longer. Bullshit. I agree. Careful with this one. Office don't dogs. Don't be careful. You don't have to be careful. It's <laughs> an attack dog. We, we've, we've had a number of beloved office dogs, but we've also had some issues with them. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd go business. No, He's only it. doing it because Romeo's here. I love yeah. Romeo. Carbon credits. Oh, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, a bit like diversity quotas, but yeah, it's... Um, I don't um, even know where they are, but I've said bullshit. Carbon credits, yeah. It's yeah. something to do with your, your offsetting your... Okay, yeah. yeah you probably just um, announced something that's very important. Now, this this is definitely an interesting one. Swearing in meetings. Ooh. Tricky. I don't mind it, and I, I quite like the art of swearing, but one of our co-founders has got quite a low tolerance for it, and, and it can be... Cr- people who swear too much, it's whether it suits you. Some people mm. suit. I think you you strike me as swearing suits you. He swears all the time. No, but in a way, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel forced. Sometimes you meet people who think you don't believe. You're trying in too that. hard. Yeah, yeah. Is, so, is it not slightly how people say the words? If maybe they're it abrasive, is. you know, or or, I, or, or or rhythmic. Motherfucker is a great rhythmic word, you know. Yeah. I'm on the fence of, and I'm going part business, part bullshit. What was the, what did we call that? We called it something like uh, bull bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Pub lunches. Oh, definitely business. You has to be for your job, yeah. Um, uh, B Corps. You come across B Corps. Oh, right. A B Corp is I'm this... I'm surprised you guys aren't a B Corp. You should, probably should be, be a B Corp. I don't know what it is. It's uh, an American, American thing. Um, thing about your company having a triple bottom line, that you follow a code of ethics, you sign up to mm-hmm. it. Look, everyone's jumping on board. That's why it's as, on the list. As my new accountant, what's the right answer? I'd go business. The, the B-Corps okay. sort of... Hang sort on, of, hang on. There was a great... Very, <laughs> I'm in. Let's we do must it. discuss. Their thing is business for good. Oh, sounds great. Business. Yeah. I think it, it is an American framework which slightly puts me off, but um, uh, uh, who's going? NDAs. <laughs> well, uh, they're an essential part of business. I think sometimes they may be overused, but yeah, it'd be an odd thing to denounce. So yeah, business. Yeah, that's definitely an obvious shit. I think they're shit. a biz shit. Yeah, yeah. biz shit. Okay, so yeah, yeah. But we, we're not answering. We are answering no. for you. We are marking you. Unlimited holidays. Unlimited holidays. I, you know, you know oh, companies that, that wow. don't set holidays. Maybe even you your um, owners. Well, it sounds like it would be good business, but I think for the safety of our own business, I'd have to say bullshit. Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I mean, that's a big. That's we get. We hire a lot of people from LinkedIn. We do a bit of work on LinkedIn. So yeah, business. I, I would go business with that. Formal workloads. Form, oh no, yeah, that's bullshit. And workloads, definitely not our world. And I'm now thinking the one about what was the carbon one? Carbon, carbon credits. credits. Yeah, okay. I'm my my brain is telling me that's probably a good thing. It is a good thing. Just so about. Ask me that one again. Carbon credits. Business. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent work. Thank you. That's the end of the quickfire round.
Okay, so this is where you give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, podcast, book, whatever you like. Off you go. Okay, I'm going to pitch our agency in case any uh, companies are out there looking for a social media agency that focuses on platform specificity, which is not an easy thing to say, but it is something that we uh, live and believe in, that your content has to be right on the platform that it is going to be going out on, making sure every piece of content has a clear objective, and really thinking about tone of voice and the people that you're trying to speak to and connect with. Um, And just having a team of people who truly know how to land your brand message in the places that it needs to be. You know, like your that. voice got a lot yeah, smoother than that. Yeah, you've got a lot of smoother voice, really. Really nice to pitch. You, you rolled it out earlier <laughs> when you were doing... Um... Do you know what that is? That's the yeasty boys, the delicious yeah. wizard motor yeasty boys. Well, there's some yeah. voice acting in there if everything else goes... goes so, David, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they could go to thatlot.co.uk. They could follow me on Twitter, David Levin 123 They could find me on Instagram or... David Levin, one, two, three. Or not anywhere that you get your social media, that is where I will be. Okay. Apart from TikTok, come to old. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to David for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Andy. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at bizwithoutbs, where you'll find more useful business content. Until next time, it's goodbye.